Hey, welcome to yet another week of our Blockbuster series. We thought a couple of weeks of this series we might go off site in a little bit of a sort of a movie theater setting so we can kind of feel those vibes of the theater while we go through some of this series. And today I want to talk to you about a movie that's based on the novel from C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and a famous movie that was adapted to really give us this portrait of C.S. Lewis's book, ultimately very faith-based, very Christian-oriented. I'll talk more about C.S. Lewis here in just a second, but I want us to look at the opening scene uh, where we see this group of kids involved in a little bit of hide-and-seek and this character, Lucy, runs into this wardrobe to hide, seemingly a great place to hide, only to find something magical as she backed into the wardrobe, this new land, this land called Narnia. Here's our first clip. Gastrovascular. Come on, Peter, gastrovascular. Well, is it Latin? Yes. Is it Latin for worst game ever invented? <laughs> we could play hide and seek. But we're already having so much fun. Come on, Peter, please. Pretty please. One, two, three, what? four, five, six.
Lucy is discovering a land that really represents, Narnia represents the, the beauty of, of what maybe paradise or what God's plan for a perfection of humanity might look like. We're gonna find there's one caveat to encountering perfection. We'll deal with that in a minute. But I wanted to rewind for just a second and let's talk about C.S. Lewis. You know, C.S. Lewis has written famous texts about Christianity. His experience is in Christianity. Uh, and so something interesting about C.S. Lewis, he was really born and raised in the church, but at age 15, he walked away from the church, declared himself an atheist and said, uh, basically like, it's too much. Uh, I don't believe in this God. I don't believe uh, that it's real. And he just walked away. Uh, but during uh, many years of his life, what people don't know is he had this other friend that he's very close to, J.R.R. Tolkien, who did the Lord of the Rings uh, books that you and I may be familiar with. Well, Tolkien stayed close to C.S. Lewis and over the years invested in him. And at age 31, C.S. Lewis found a relationship with Jesus Christ. He began to radically write about the joy that he found in a relationship with Jesus. Uh, he began to share about his love for Jesus what he understood about Christianity. I want us to look at a text that I think is perfect for us to kick off our time together with. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 18. It says, Many are far away from the life of God because they have shut their minds against him and they can't understand his ways. I think that text is so important when you consider the backdrop of C.S. Lewis's life. And C.S. Lewis spends time in his life unpacking the truth about God. He does research to come to the conclusion that, that there is this God that he needs to pay attention to, ultimately discovering a great joy. And if you're here watching this right now, you're in our auditorium, you're watching this maybe online, and you're in a place where maybe you've rejected God because of some struggles with, with God or in your mind or some some false notions about God, or maybe even some struggles at church, and you've pushed away and you've rejected the truth about who God is. We're looking at a story brought to you and I by a guy, hood guy, who did the research, was in a low place, and discovered who Jesus Christ really was. It came from his heart, and now we have it to the screen. Maybe you'll examine this Christianity that made C.S. Lewis come alive. C.S. Lewis gives us this story about Narnia because he wants us to see what he uncovered in scripture was that God had a beautiful plan for creation and yet there are things that have kind of gotten in the way. For example, when God made creation, he did it for two reasons. See, God created us first and foremost to be a part of the family. He wanted us in a family. God wanted a big family and he made a way through the gift of Jesus Christ where all human beings who've been created would have a chance to be in that family. God loves that expanding family and the family of God. So that's the first reason why you and I were created to be in God's family. But the second reason you and I were created 
was because God wanted us to also have a dominion over the earth. We see that very clearly in the book of Genesis. And in fact, we read in the text of the scriptures, we see that we were designed to be the kings and the priests of this world, to guide humanity, to be God's family, to be God's vessels on this planet, to lead people and point people to a relationship with God so the family could grow, so that we would be taking care of this gift that he's given us here on earth. But we know that things get sideways. When you look at Narnia, Narnia is a portrait of what can be in God's design and God's plan, but yet, as I mentioned earlier, something gets in the way. What is it for you and I that gets in the way of the beauty that God has in store for us? It's the temptations. It's the moments we have to deal with our adversary, and if we don't deal with them well, brokenness enters our life, enters situations and circumstances around us. In the story of Narnia, Edmund enters Narnia as well, and he encounters temptation in the form of this witch. And the way he falls prey to this temptation, turning his back ultimately on what we see as being God's plan, it brings messiness and chaos into his life and into Narnia. I can make anything you like. Can you make me taller? <laughs> anything you'd like to eat. Turkish delight? Edmund, I would very much like to meet the rest of your family. Why? They're nothing special. Oh, I'm sure they're not nearly as delightful as you are. But you see, Edmund, I have no children of my own. And you are exactly the sort of boy who I could see one day becoming Prince of Narnia. Maybe even king. Really? Of course, you'd have to bring a family. Oh, uh, do you mean Peter would be king too? No, no, no. But a king needs servants. I, I guess I could bring. Beyond these woods. See those two hills? My house is right between them. You'd love it there, Edmund. It has whole rooms simply stuffed with Turkish delight. Couldn't I have this small now? No! Don't want to ruin your appetite. Besides, you and I are going to be seeing each other again very soon, aren't we? I hope so. Your Majesty. Until then, dear one. Hmm, I'm gonna miss you. Edmund? Oh, Edmund! You got in too! Isn't it wonderful? 
have you been? With Mr. Thomas. He's fine. The White Witch hasn't found out anything about him meeting me. The White Witch? She calls herself the Queen of Narnia, but she really isn't. Are you all right? You look awful. Well, what do you expect? I mean, it's freezing. How do we get out of here? Come on. This way. Lucy says, Narnia is this place. She's, it's beautiful. It's, it's a great wonder. A and yet, uh, things are going to get messy again because of Edmund's decisions and choices. And I, I want you to notice something about Narnia, and it's true in the story of God's working here on earth, is that uh, though there may be opportunity, there may be the goodness of God put before us, that we have an adversary, we have a tempter who wants to steal away that wonder, that joy, that beauty out of our life, out of our land. Here's the first point that I put in your notes. The enemy always, this is his business, he's always trying to tempt us away from God's plan. God's plan for our life through something that is just not true. Oh, that's the interesting part of this. That's what Edmund's going to discover is that he's going to be tempted by something that's not real. But when we bite, when we take part in his plans, we don't ever get what we were really looking for. And we bring about this messiness into our lives and into people around us as well. We see this portrait of Turkish delights that are being offered Edmund. Uh, he, if he will just listen to the witch, he can have these wonderful foods. It sounds great, doesn't it? It sounds like it could be amazing. And Edmund's going to say, yeah, yeah, I want that. I want that. If you'll just take part in this, I'll, the enemy says, I'll bring this to you as well. But his response to his promises are never, they're never close. In fact, they usually in the long run work very opposite. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14, it says, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. In other words, what Satan wants to offer us is Turkish delights. Oh, aren't they so good? Oh, I'll just tempt you just a little bit, a little bit. No, no, we wanna push. We wanna push away. We don't want that, right? Because we're afraid of how it might affect us, but then it looks, it does look so good after a while and after the temptation comes and as our adversary shines up things for you and I, we just can't seem to help ourselves. And we've all had that. It's a part of my story. Heck, when, when I was young and all the way up till my mid twenties, I mean, for me, it was, what's the next thing that's shiny? What's the next pretty thing? I found over and over again, that everything the world had to offer on the surface looked good, but left me empty, left me needing more, never satisfied. It was never what was promised. And if some of you are in that place, you can learn what C.S. Lewis learned. You can learn what Edmund is going to have to learn in Narnia, that if you're not careful, if you're not paying attention, you can get caught up in his tactics so easily. The second point I put in your notes is this, Satan never delivers on his promises, ever. His track record is loser to loser, 100 out of 100. Like that's his ratio over and over again. We have to see exactly what it says in John 8, 44, which 
Jesus tries to warn us that in this land that we live in, uh, we have an adversary, and the Bible says with Satan, there is no truth in him. And when he lies, that's what he does. He lies, he speaks, as it says in the scripture, in his native language, his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Every time Satan speaks, he speaks to you in a form of a lie. And when you bite, you find yourself in the bondage and the slavery in the wrapping around of our life that keeps us held back and unhealthy, not just in our life, but for the people around us as well. Tell me, Edmund. Are your sisters deaf? No. And your brother, is he... unintelligent? Well, I think so. The mum says... Then how? Dare you come alone? I tried. Edmund, I ask so little of you. They, they just don't listen to me. Couldn't even do that. Oh, I did bring them halfway. They're in the little house at the dam with the beavers. Well, I suppose you are not a total loss then, are you? I, I was wondering, could, could I maybe have a small taggish delight now? Our guest is hungry. This way for your num nums. I love that portrait there for, for Hedman. Uh, he is dealing with exactly what we've been talking about. The promises are falling through. And in our lives, we're gonna see this, uh, be, this story in Narnia be a perfect picture of what you and I deal with, the promise and the bondage, and then the darkness. I was thinking about it, like it plays out perfectly when we go to buy a car, right? Like we see that we want a new car, we're tempted with the shininess of a new car, 
We say, I'm so ready to go. We sign up for, let's say, seven or $800 a month payments. And that seems pretty heavy. But then, you know, a couple of months uh, or a couple of hundred dollars a month with insurance and then the gas. And all of a sudden, you know, this vehicle is costing us $1,011, $1,200 a month. Uh, it just seemed great, you know, at the moment because it was shiny and beautiful. And then, I don't know if you've noticed this, but after like a handful of months or a year in, the new car smell begins to wear off. All of a sudden, you got nuggets and fries in your car seats. And now the new car smell is nowhere to be found. Everything is feeling like it's wearing off. But oh, by the way, you've only got 60 more months of payments to make on this thing. It's like, wow, it was good for a little bit, but now it feels like I'm paying the price. I don't mean to pick on the car industry, but I think that happens. I think it's real. And I think it's a portrait of what you and I deal with if we're not careful. And the enemy uh, does this tactic. We mentioned this several weeks ago. John 10:10 says this, that we have a thief and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. One time I heard a pastor say this about the temptations and sin when we fall prey to it. He said, sin will take you farther than you ever planned on going. It'll last longer than you ever thought it would last, and you will pay more than you ever thought that you would pay. This is the truth watched it play out, I think, many, many times. But I love what C.S. Lewis does here in this text because uh, what he actually does is portray a situation where when you fall prey to Satan's tactics, you actually become his property. Though you were made to belong to God, though you were made to be in his family, when you fall prey, when you decide to live a life away from God, you are Satan's property. And C.S. Lewis gives us that. And, and here's the thing, in order to be released from Satan's property, <laughs> you, you can't say you're sorry enough. You can't pay enough money. Your friends can't fix, this, fix the situation for you. Uh, there's uh, you know no amount of times you do the Ten Commandments perfectly that will fix the mistakes and the sin and the temptation that you fell prey to. You are literally now Satan's property. Of course, there's good news after this, but let me give you a very raw fill in here. When we become property of the enemy, our blood becomes his property. That is the portrait of ownership that he takes of us. Now, when you fill that in, it seems pretty harsh. And the fact is, is because your blood property of your spiritual adversary, it means the only way that you can be recovered is through, again, not any of your own actions, but through a blood payment. You get that? Blood for blood. Now here's what it says in Romans 6, 23. It says, for the wages, wages, in other words, for the payment, the price to be paid because you have made a choice to enter in the adversary's property. The payment of that, of sin, is death. But there is good news. There is a free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You say, Gary, 
What does that mean? What it means is that what Jesus Christ did with his life here on earth, his death, burial, resurrection, is that when he saw us having committed sin, that when he saw us becoming property of Satan, that when he saw us having this price that we paid for our sin, he made a way in which blood for blood we could be forgiven, we could be released of that sin. He decided to give his life so that we could we could come into our life and have a freedom from the tactics of our adversary. I tell people all the time, look, man, because you know, you'll hear people say, they'll say, how could a loving God send somebody to hell? Well, I tell people regularly this, they'll say, God doesn't send anyone to hell. Hell is just the place where if you want to pay your own bill, pay your own way, you can. If that's the choice you've made, that I think I can reconcile this issue, this blood issue, like if you think you can do it, then go right ahead by choice and you will encounter what it's like uh, to have not been able to embrace the real payment for your sin that has been offered. And so I put this in your notes. The next thing is this. Hell is a place where people have tried to settle their own accounts. This awful place that we know in the scriptures known as hell, it, it really is just simply that. Uh, but again, we don't have to try to settle our own accounts. Jesus Christ has done that. And as we set up the next clip in the movie, what we're going to see is this beautiful portrait of the exchange that Jesus has made his life for our lives, blood for blood. And it's gonna happen in the form of how Edmund, you remember Edmund, he, he was enslaved by the choices that he had made. He was in bondage. But Aslan, who seemingly is perfect, beautiful, incredible lion is gonna work out a deal. He's gonna offer up his life in exchange for the freedom of Edmund, the one who's made the mistakes, the one who is guilty, and negotiation has taken place so that he can be free and so that the innocent one can give up his life. And as you see this scene play out, and if you ever watched this movie, uh, maybe a long time ago, it's a moment where you feel the emotion of what Jesus did for you. It is exactly what Jesus did for you and I. A great exchange, perfection for those who are guilty in exchange for freedom, freedom of our, for our life, blood, for blood. Watch this next clip. Why does 
do you honestly think by all this that you could save the human traitor? You are giving me your life and saving no one. <laughs> so much for love. I want to read to you a scripture that helps explain this for our life and when you consider Jesus. But when I look at that last clip for just a second, I just want to say, I watch as Aslan, this beautiful uh, portrait of Jesus, this portrait of perfection, this animal that we, we love in the movie, this lion giving of his life for Edmund. Like I, it bothers me a little bit when I think like, how can he do that? Like Edmund, this, this guy, he made a mistake. He acted like an idiot. He, he's, he's messed everything up. And, and I look at it and I go, he shouldn't even do that for Edmund. It's not even a, a good swap here. Like, what are, you, what are you doing? Well, of course, that is the story of what Jesus did for us. We were 
One sin, you and I are undeserving of God's love. One sin, and we've messed up. And yet, even in one sin, Jesus found us worthy, God found us worthy to offer up His one and only Son for every single one of us, blood for blood, the exchange is made. And here's what Isaiah 53, this translation says about that moment for you and I, how this plays out, what Jesus did for us. It says this in verse five, it says, but it was our sins that did that to Him, did that to Jesus, that ripped and tore and crushed Him, our sins. He took the punishment and that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing. We've all gone our own way, just like Edmund did. And God has piled all our sins, everything that we've done wrong on him, on, on Jesus. He was beaten, he was tortured, but he did not say a word. Like a lamb, he was taken to be slaughtered. Like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. Justice miscarried and he was led off. And did anyone really know what was happening? Did anybody really understand that this was this great moment of forgiveness? He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten blood for, uh, for the sins of people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with a rich man, even though he'd never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true. Still, it's what God had in mind all along to crush him with pain. The plan was that he would give of himself as an offering for sin so he'd see life come from it. Life, life and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. With what Jesus did for humanity, you will not find a greater expression of God's love, this exchange for us. C.S. Lewis is getting us to see that through Aslan and Edmund and that exchange taking place, uh, it is a portrait of how much, how desperate God is to have us in his family, how much he wants us to be there by his side in eternity, that he would do that for just one person or for just one sin. He does it not just for one person, but for all of us. And, and yet, when Jesus Christ died, was put in that tomb, the devil thought he'd won. The devil thought that Hey, it's over. I don't have to deal with all this mess any longer. But we know the story says that, that on that third day, they went to the tomb and they found the tomb empty. And Luke 24, they said, he ain't here. He's gone. He is risen. And yeah, Jesus was risen to show us that there is life, to show us that there is life beyond this life that we know, but that indeed it is true. Our sin can be forgiven. I put this uh, point in your notes. It says this, the cross paid for your mistakes and the resurrection is what gives us now a life and a power to do battle against Satan, to do battle against the devil. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we have this newfound power to wage war against our adversary in a way that we couldn't otherwise. And as we're gonna see as Narnia and the story of Narnia continues, we're gonna see that there's this powerful force now that's available to the people of Narnia because of the sacrifice of Aslan. He didn't just die, there was so much more to the story.
We should go. She might have interpreted the deep magic differently. That when a willing victim who has committed no treachery is killed in a traitor's stead, the stone table will crack, and even death itself would turn backwards. We sent the news that you were dead. Peter and Edmund will have gone to war. We have to help them. We will, dear one, but not alone. Climb on my back. We have far to go. And little time to get there. And you may want to cover your ears. In a moment that seemed like darkness would prevail, the somberness of them losing what they believed to be was this perfect gift of Aslan. All of a sudden, this resurrection takes place. The ground shakes, the veil of the temple is torn, that he is alive. We're talking about Aslan, we're talking about Jesus. C.S. Lewis perfectly shows us this portrait of the resurrection, the portrait of a resurrection that gives us forgiveness of sin, but gives us now this power to do battle. He's talking about Aslan and saying, yeah, now, you know what, now we're going to really start taking care of some business. That is C.S. Lewis reminding you and I what the Bible tells us, which is that when you're in this family, when you're a part of the family of God, you now have access to so much more in this family. You now have life, eternal life, and power 
to do business against our spiritual adversary. The Bible says in John chapter 1, to those who have received him, to those who believe in his name, those who would invite him into their life, they have the right to be called children of God. You're in the family. What C.S. Lewis has given us in this story about Narnia, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, it is the story of redemption and what Jesus did for all of humanity. Something C.S. Lewis learned in studying and unpacking God's Word and something you and I have revealed before us here today in the year 2023. Would you bow your head all across our auditorium, people watching online? Would you bow your head? Let's pray together. Right now, laid before us in this beautiful blockbuster video is the story of Jesus' sacrifice for humanity. This world that God gave us, this place for you and I to live, to be a part of his family, to be a part of something spectacular. It's there for humanity, but at the same time, we choose brokenness. We choose the tactics of the adversary. And there's somebody here watching this right now in the sound of my voice. You are not in the family of God. You're in this place where you're outside the bounds. You've chosen to walk with our adversary. You've chosen at time or two or many, like me, many, many times in my life, chosen the wrong way to live, chosen to go against God. But for just one sin, Jesus Christ made the exchange for you, for humanity, so that you and I could encounter him and be a part of that family. You can make that decision today right where you're seated, anywhere in the auditorium and online, you can make that decision to say, I am ready to enter into God's family. God, forgive me of my sin. I accept the gift of Jesus Christ who did that for me. And I believe that when that blood was shed, my sin also was forgiven. God, I'm ready now to enter into your family and begin to do battle against this adversary that is trying to take over this world, but he can't have it. So I come to you now, in Jesus' name, amen.